1: Kiwi making Kiwi better off. There are four words that any economist or market commentator will tell you they are scared witless of, particularly when they're all put together in a row. This time is different. And that's because often economists are asked to predict where market prices might go, house prices, share prices, bond prices. And like everyone else, They have to make a judgment about whether something is too expensive or too cheap, that it's somehow out of line with its fundamentals. And for 20 or 30 years, it has felt like in New Zealand, house prices are out of line with their fundamentals, yet they have kept rising. Time and time again, we've seen house prices rise after someone who's very well informed and in a great position to say, this is too expensive, be careful before you buy, has come out and said, This time is different. House prices can't keep going up at the rate they are, yet they have. For the last 20 or 30 years, we've heard central bank governors and finance ministers and prime ministers tell us that buying lots of houses was a bad idea because at some point there would be a bust, that prices can never always go up, and that at some point they would come down, and that we should be very careful before we take on lots of debt to buy a house a very expensive house. And so we've heard from Don Bash in 1998, saying he didn't think it was a sensible thing to take out lots of debt to buy an investment property. Then we heard from Alan Bollard, firstly in 2003, and then again in 2004, that he thought the housing market was overvalued and vulnerable to a correction. And then of course, in 2014 and 2015, the subsequent Reserve Bank Governor, Graeme Wheeler, not only did he warn that he was going to put up interest rates and that might drag down house prices, he said he also thought that housing was overvalued. Now, back in 1998, house prices have more than quadrupled since then. 2003, they have more than tripled, and even since 2013-2014, prices have more than doubled. Even as recently as 2017, we heard from Stephen Joyce, the then finance minister, saying that house prices can't always ever go up and they're bound to at some point go down and people should be very careful before they buy another house. And then, of course, from 2017 to where we are now, house prices are up 40 to 50%, depending on where you are. So when you hear an economist, a serious one, one of the grown-ups, if you like, in the world of central banks and the housing market, and particularly our housing market, say, this time is different, your ear should prick up. And certainly mine did in the last week or so, when the new chief economist for the Reserve Bank, Paul Conway, he's been around, he was the head of economics for the Productivity Commission, he's been BNZ's chief economist for the bank. He is a very experienced person and, and he knows that if you come out and say, particularly as the chief economist of the Reserve Bank, this time is different, that house prices are turning and going down and potentially going further down, well, they know that they're up against it. Because when so many people cry wolf so many times and have been wrong, you can see why the public, investors, first home buyers, take something like this time is different from a central bank economist with more than a grain of salt, a bucket load of salt, and then they rush into the forest because they really (laughs) think there are no wolves. And also, they know that even if house prices or some asset class is overvalued, that often the markets don't respect these very intelligent, well-informed, well-researched people. As our hero, John Maynard Keynes, who is, of course, behind the name of our show, When the Facts Change, he said something really interesting once, because as well as being an economist, he was a trader during the 20s and 30s and made quite a bit of money here and there. He lost some money too. But one thing he said whenever um, he was confronted by an angry investor who'd taken their advice, that the markets can stay irrational longer than we can stay solvent. And what he's saying there is that even if we're right, Sometimes it doesn't matter because by the time things have turned, we may already have lost or in the New Zealand case with house prices seeming to go up forever, that if we miss out on buying, let's say in 1998 or 2013 or 2017, it may be too late for those people who were waiting for house prices to come down in 2018 or 2019 or even (laughs) sadly had a hope in February 2020, at the outbreak of COVID, thinking, wow, this is, this is bound to be bad for house prices. I oh, know, I'll wait. And then what happened? Well, the Reserve Bank itself printed $55 billion worth of money to buy government bonds to push down long-term interest rates and released the restrictions on high LVR lending, which is at least partly responsible for the 45% rise in house prices we saw between February 2020 2020 and November, 2021. Now house prices have actually fallen around 6% since then. And Paul Conway has come out in a very detailed speech with four academic papers behind it to say, okay guys, this time is different. So I went along to the Reserve Bank to talk to Paul Conway. He's a very engaging and friendly and well-informed guy. He has a whole team of economists behind him and those four academic papers. To say why this time is different. To go through the various drivers of supply with our issues in getting enough houses built and enough land serviced with enough infrastructure. Our issues with interest rates falling substantially over several decades, helping to push up prices. Our issues with migration, which seems to have changed a bit recently. And I went through that conversation with Paul, essentially challenging him point by point, on why he thought this time was different. So I went along to the Reserve Bank to talk to its new Chief Economist, Paul Conway. So Paul, I really enjoyed your speech, great charts. Tell us, why is it New Zealand has
0: such expensive housing? Thanks, Bernard, and kia ora. Um... Yeah, it's a good question. I think we've sort of grappled with that for a while. There's different levels in terms of answering that question and sort of to be a bit I don't know, a bit glib. You could say, well, because demand is greater than supply for housing in New Zealand. So then you have to sort of dig into, well, what are the reasons that have been driving strong demand for housing here in Aotearoa and and why are the reasons why supply has been a bit sort of constricted? And a- actually the whole speech was about how those factors are sort of changing and what that might mean going going forward. But certainly looking back, um, you know, New Zealand for some time we've had very strong Population growth, uh, which has been a really important driver of the housing market, I think population was growing. Uh, population was growing two percent a year for five or six years pre uh, the pandemic. But I think over a longer stretch of time, uh, we've had strong uh, population growth compared to the rest of the OECD. Let's drill into
1: that population growth because you had a fantastic chart there that showed uh, a whole bunch of countries with you know slow population growth and relatively low house price inflation, and then right out. Rockstar yes. rock star at the top right was New Zealand, um, which seems to show that population, well, we don't actually have a policy, do we? But the population growth has been maybe more important than some people
0: think. Yeah. Well, I think population growth, uh, driven by a migration boom and uh, seemingly always going up house prices, have been the two key drivers of economic growth. In New Zealand, there have been two sort of growth engines, if you like, for the economy. And I think, you know, that's that's the broader context because that's that's changing. And obviously, the two are linked. I mean, the housing market is not just a story of population growth. There's also, you know, long-term interest rates in there and the tax system uh, and zoning regulations and, and the like. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's sort of why we've ended up in the situation where house prices are so high in absolute terms and so high as a share of our incomes compared to the rest of the world. Tell us about um, how important that interest rate drop has been over the
1: last 20 years or so. Because, again, for those people who've only bought their house in the last five years or um, have only been, you know, maybe they're in their early 20s, um, you know, they were only five years old when, um, you know, interest rates were over 10%. Yeah. Uh, Tell us how, not just in New Zealand but around the world, that Structural fall in interest rates, mm. which seems to have followed a structural fall in inflation until now, uh, how that played a role and why yeah. lower interest rates would mean higher asset values or house yep. prices.
0: Yep, yep. Well, the, the this decline, this wrong, long run decline in, well, economists we call the neutral interest rate, and it's been happening over decades. Um, so it's a real long, slow thing, and it's kind of. You know, the reasons behind it um, is essentially... Now, interest rates essentially are determined by the balance between savings in the global economy and investment in the global economy. And there's been a few factors over that period uh, which have meant that savings have uh, increased globally for various reasons, but demand for investment funds has been a bit constrained, by, You know, especially since the GFC, the global financial crisis. Um, because of low productivity. So people talk about a glut of savings in the economy being a key driver of that long run decline in interest rates. And work that we put out here at Te Putia Matua with the speech um, shows that it's that decline in international interest rates or that neutral interest rate driven by these global factors, that's been a key driver uh, of uh, elevated house prices and you know we see we see this story of elevated house prices across a whole bunch of, of of countries you know particularly anglo countries but across more broadly across the OECD as well so this has happened all around the world so why it have is. our house prices risen more than others because some- it's
1: Brilliant, chart Showing how, again, New Zealand's line was just so much higher than everybody else's.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, th- th- this speech, you know, is based on some really good, solid research that the economics team at the Reserve Bank uh, have been doing, which you know gives me such confidence when I deliver it. It's great to have all that uh, in the background. Like, I-, I think the factors that have shaped our housing experience have been similar to other countries, but I think we've sort of been shaded, you know, on the upside in terms of demand and on on the downside in terms of sort of constrained supply. So I don't think there's anything that's particularly... New Zealand centric about this in terms of big picture drivers of the housing market, but the way it's sort of unfolded here and the you know the way we've kind of restricted land and the way we've grown our population uh, has meant that our experience has been right at the extreme end uh, of what's been happening globally.
1: So on the one side, you've got the demand increasing uh, for the asset, and normally what happens when you know the price of an asset or even a product or a service goes up there's a reaction from the supplier of yeah, that that that's service right. like oh there's some profit to be made here I'm going to make more of these things and New Zealand house prices have, uh, have really risen tell us about how flexible the supply response has yeah. been and why that has been such a factor
0: yeah well it's i mean just think about it in terms of econ 101 sort of uh, space so the you know there's been a, a an increase in demand for various reasons and if the supply side of the market is sort of constrained a bit restricted that's going to show up as higher prices instead of as more houses whereas if say land supply which is you know the critical sort of thing on the supply side not the only thing but a very important aspect of the supply of housing if that is more flexible and if our cities can kind of grow outwards and upwards with more people more demand for housing uh, then that increase in demand is more likely to translate into more building, uh, more houses um, rather than higher house prices. So that's kind of it.
1: So what you know, in our system has restrained that supply response?
0: Yeah, well, it, I mean, a lot of people point, point the finger at town planners. Uh, over the last couple of decades. And I think, you know, to some extent we've sort of been experimenting in, in that space and for a while Auckland, you know, it sort of had a ring around it in terms of the metropolitan limit and it sort of had a lid on it in terms of height restrictions and we were pumping, you know, sort of 40,000, 50,000 people a year in, into the city and uh, in that world is no surprise. Uh, that house prices uh, react by, by increasing. I, I should say, you know, we the, the point that we make with speech and in the underlying work is that uh, some of these fundamental drivers are changing uh, in New Zealand. So there has been you know, considerable shifts uh, in that kind of urban development uh, zoning space, both at the council levels uh, and also, you know, coming from government, um, you know, we're reimagining the RMA uh, at the moment and, and de- uh, density limits have, have, have been changed uh, as well.
1: So the headline in your speech was that the, you thought the tide may have turned on this one-way bet that mm. so many New Zealand homeowners have felt at least for the last 20 or 30 years, which means we have such a high proportion of our household net wealth in our homes and a much higher proportion than other countries so why do you think the tide's turning?
0: Yeah, like it's been it's been completely rational for New Zealanders to invest in housing. Like it's 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 paid off for those housing investors, for people that have owned houses and have owned land uh, in particular over this period of, of rapid uh, house price appreciation within within cities, within those kind of urban boundaries where they exist. So housing, There's, re- I mean, the data is a bit sketchy here, but there is reasonably good evidence to show that the proportion of uh, wealth that Kiwis have tied up in housing uh, as a share of their total sort of wealth portfolio is is relatively large here. So it's sort of, you know, housing, we, we've we been a bit addicted to it for sure, and it's been a really important um aspect of how our, our economy operates and even our national psyche you know that whole thing about buying a villa and doing it up and selling it and that's how you get ahead in the world we've really sort of lapped that up uh, and in, in in the speech and the underlying work we just sort of make the point that a lot of the preconditions that led to that, um, that sort of way of thinking about housing you know may finally be Turning around. Um, so, you know. So let's drill down into the various factors. Firstly, interest rates. The Reserve
1: Bank's been putting up interest rates since October last year. And it's also tightened its restrictions on high LVR lending. Yep. That's in the last, you know, six to 12 months or so. Hmm. But what's to say that that fundamental trend down to relatively low levels for interest rates? Uh, has either ended or is about to do a full reversal.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a heap of work uh, internationally in in the kind of macroeconomic space looking at exactly that issue. What's going to happen to these neutral uh, interest rates? And it's obviously something that we think about uh, here as well, uh, a great deal at the Reserve Bank. And, and some international scholars that are big in this space uh, see reasons to think that uh, neutral interest rates Maybe going back up. Uh, we we don't have a view uh, yet uh, here at uh, Taputia Matua, but um, um, you know, like sort of globalisations becoming a bit more fragmented and demographics uh, internationally are, are changing and, you know, we can sort of start worrying about ageing populations uh, around the place and and also, you know, um, decarbonisation, the investment that's going to have to, the trillions of dollars of investment that's going to have to, have to go into that. You know, there's a few reasons to suggest that that downward, uh, downward decline in neutral interest rates may have, um, you know, hit... Hit the sort of the sort of trough, Um, and the flexibility of the housing market to supply to respond
1: to that higher price. What do you think's changed or is changing there in a a substantial way?
0: Yeah, well, well, yeah. On the supply side, um, you know, it it does essentially come come to that zoning stuff that we were talking about. Like, I think that's pretty fundamental, and also, you know, the other key driver on the supply side is uh, transport. Um, So, you know, it's one thing to have um, growing cities and land becoming available, but we need to get access to it. And if we have good transport links within our cities, uh, that means people can commute into the CBDs, you know, more easily from further out. So, you know, that sort of land becomes viable. And also the fact, you know, that we're not going to work as often as we used to. If you're a lot of people working at home, again, it's changing uh, that kind of relationship between transport. Uh, and what's happening on the on the supply side of the housing market. I should you know Bernard this whole you know like now is a major economic transition. like there's so much in the world of the economist that is changing um, now. So essentially what we do in the speech is we kind of bring that into the New Zealand housing market and sort of look at it from 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 that perspective. So one of the other drivers is the inherent uh,
1: advantages of investing in housing versus other types of assets and you've uh, reproduced a, a fantastic chart in there from the Tax Working Group, uh, which I throw at people who tell me whenever they say that there are no tax advantages for residential property investment. Uh, um, what, what's changed What's changed there to you, that you think might help be yeah. part of the tide turning?
0: Yeah, well, um, first of all, you know, that data is, is, you have to make a few assumptions to reproduce that chart and... Uh, you know, and, and I think the tax working group sort of, you know, was best efforts. And I think definitely on owner-occupied houses, it's, it's tax advantaged and, uh, or at least historically and, and rental, uh, as well, depending on the sort of underlying assumptions. But we've had uh, interest uh, deductibility is uh, no more. I think, and whether you like it or loathe it, as a policy, it's definitely going to have an impact. Uh, and also, the bright lines test that the previous government bought in was recently extended from five years uh, to ten years. So, if you you know flip a house within ten years, you do have to pay tax uh, on on the on the uh, income bump. That you get, so so the tax, you know, the, the the sort of any gap that existed between the effective tax rate on housing and other asset classes, um, I haven't seen an update of that work to account for these uh, recent changes in the tax system, but that that gap will absolutely uh, be closing, for sure. And then on the migration front, um,
1: you, we pointed out earlier the big relationship between population growth and house prices, on the face of it. Uh, what's happening with migration that gives you a bit more
0: confidence on turning tides? Yeah, well, it's, obviously it fell off a cliff uh, over COVID. And, you know, now there's sort of this bottled up desire for OE, you know, that Kiwi's that kind of wanderlust for travel. And I think uh, a lot of younger New Zealanders are heading offshore for sort of new experiences. And I think migration, it will come back to uh, some extent, uh, the government is having a, a bit of a rethink, a reset uh, in the migration space and putting a, a little more emphasis on the skills uh, aspect of, of the migration issue. So, you know, my sense is that we're not going back to that period of to migration levels that we saw, you know, that, those very rapid inflows and very rapid population growth. You know, I should say I, I don't really have a view on which is preferred, sort of high uh, um uh, population growth, high migration or or, or low. Um, but if you're going to grow your population rapidly, you need to invest in the associated infrastructure, uh, including houses. And I think previously in the past, that's something we've sort of got caught out uh, a, a little bit. Yeah, let's talk about that
1: because you've worked with uh, the Housing and Urban Development Ministry, um, had a chat with Treasury and the Productivity Commission where you, you, you led a lot of work. Plus the new infrastructure commission has looked at this. What gives you any confidence or more confidence that we'll be better in the next ten to twenty years at investing in infrastructure than we have been in the last twenty or thirty, which the infrastructure commission itself says has created a deficit of, mm-hmm. you know, seventy-five
0: to yeah, hundred and something billion, depending on which assumption you use? I guess I'm just an eternal optimist. I just think we get better at our jobs as as time goes on. And I do think that, you know, now is such a crunch point for us as New Zealanders, and I think we are more open to conversations that we've sort of shied away from uh, in the past. You know, it's an exciting time to be doing economics, and I sort of just sense an openness uh, across the political spectrum and certainly across, you know, everyday New Zealanders to engage on these issues and have a really... Um, you know, open, honest conversation about how we want to live, you know, how we want to treat each other, which is essentially what an economy is. It's a reflection of how we want to treat each other. Um, so, does it make sense that sort of one group who tend to own houses and land, you know, just sort of do so well out of it for decades and everybody else? you know, misses out to some, some extent. So I, I, just, I just think we're really starting to open ourselves up to these conversations and having an infrastructure commission is great and sort of, you know, making that more sort of, uh, you know, long run sort of view in that space instead of a, a political sort of cycle. You know, there's, there's things happening around our country that give me optimism. When the Facts Change is brought to you in
1: partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's KiwiBank's Chief Economist, Jared Kerr, on what's happening with inflation in 2024.
0: Globally, inflation rose to really high levels. We saw inflation averaging over 10% uh, last year. Now central banks have reacted. They, they've tightened monetary policy. They've lifted interest rates to levels where it hurts. We've seen growth slow down and we are seeing inflation coming off, which is great news because we import a lot of inflation from the rest of the world and that imported inflation is easing. So half the job that we're trying to do locally is is being done for us offshore. The other half, the domestic bit, well that's the tough bit. That's the sticky inflation that's coming out of a housing market, it's coming out of construction, it's coming out of service industries and it's going to be hard to contain.
1: Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Jared and other Kiwibank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses.
0: Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix podcast brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today.
1: Now, one of the great things about your speech was that you sort of tried to look into how New Zealand families who own homes have thought about the house as the asset, as yeah. the financial future, as something they invest in relative to other things. And uh, and we all know investments are a lot about expectations, about uh, the tax rules and what people think are going to happen and their experiences of what they've heard people say in the past and then what actually happened, when you look at that mentality, which you talk about as a sort of a, a um, one-way bet mentality mm. that we've had for a long time, mm. I'm curious about how this all ends. Because on the face of it, you know, if a price keeps going up one way forever, there's some sort of, um, you know, infinity and beyond problem yeah. going on there. Yeah, yeah. And secondly, um, you know, with prices going from three or four times income to eight or nine times income, mm. there must come a point where even the kids of the people who own homes can't afford to buy their own homes, mm. Mm. even though some of them will be asking mum and dad for some help. So, if you are of the view it's a one way bet, how would you think about the long term future?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, it, it, is, it, it isn't a one way bet because no prices keep going up forever. Like there, there, there will always be a point where prices get pulled back down to you know, a more sort of fundamental level. Uh, and, you know, I think that's what we're seeing in, in the housing market. And also I think, you know, what we're calling sustainable house prices, which is not sustainable over the next 100 years or anything, but it's consistent with where market sort of settings are at the moment. You know, we also make the point that with all the stuff we've been talking about, that sustainable level of house prices is is coming down. So it's it's not just about the cycle, which is driven by monetary policy and sort of animal spirits of investors, uh, but also about those more fundamental drivers. Just getting back to your your question about, you know, it, it has been rational for people to invest in housing, and you know, there's and it's it's made sense, and they've done well out of it, and you know that's great. But if you project that forward, um, you know we're just getting sort of a two tier society around people that own houses and and people that don't. So so with what's happened in the housing market, there has been a wealth transfer um, from uh, Kiwis who do are lucky enough to or fortunate enough to own their own home with the land uh, underneath it. Um, you know, they have increased their wealth and there's been a wealth transfer from typically, and those guys are typically a bit older in terms of the demographics. Uh, so that transfers come from younger New Zealanders um, that are going to have to pay more uh, to own their own home. So if you do project that forward, it's, it's, it's not sustainable. So something has to change. And I know for, for decades we've been talking about where that point of inflection is, you know, when is that change going to sort of finally kick in? And I guess with this speech and the underlying work, we're saying, well, you know, we've gone a long way uh, down this road and maybe we're getting to the point where prices are coming back to a, a, a level that is more consistent with the society that we want to create. Uh,
1: yeah, you here. mentioned um, sustainable price levels, and you've thought about this and you've done a lot of work on what is a sustainable level. And you, you're right, sustainable is not the same as affordable. And at the last monetary policy statement, the Reserve Bank um, worked out or thought that the sustainable level was about 15% below the peak that we saw probably October, November mm. of 2021. Mm. Why only a 15% fall? Because when you think about the COVID era, um, prices rose 40 to 45% from the beginning Mm. of COVID to here. Why aren't they going to go all the way back down to the start again? Yeah,
0: so the the way we think about this, and this is sort of getting to the, you know, what's the impact of monetary policy uh, on the housing market? And, you know, low interest rates over that COVID period, uh, you know, definitely contributed uh, to increased demand for housing. Uh, and in turn, you know, we talk about a wealth effect. So as New Zealanders were feeling that their balance sheets, their household balance sheets were growing, um, so they were out there spending, you know, aggregate demand held up. And New Zealand has had a great run economically um, through the pandemic. Um, but, you know, now with uh, interest rates turning around and people starting to, you know, readjust their thinking, Uh, we see house prices falling back down towards that more sustainable level. And as you say, when when we say sustainable, we're talking about the level of house prices that are consistent with uh, regulatory settings uh, across the demand and the supply components of the housing market. And I should say, you know, this is just in our MPS, And with any economic projection at the moment, there's heaps of uncertainty about it. And it's only looking out a few years. uh, And I think you know, we're also saying in the speech, and as we've been discussing, there are reasons to think that some of those regulatory settings or those fundamental drivers of the house, housing market are turning around uh, in, in ways that are consistent with that sustainable level of house prices, you know, coming off uh, a bit. So,
1: um, let's say I'm one of these um, people who've just read your speech, uh, thinking about tide turning and thinking... Gee, I've heard people say to me before from reserve banks that, you know, we've hit the peak and it can't get any worse or, or higher than this, but yeah. actually then it does. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and because I'm a voter, I have to think about, you know, uh, what might happen in the future that changes those tides one way or another. How much of a market have we built that's Effectively, too big to fail because mm. there are some types of assets that, regardless of the price, they're just too high to be allowed to fall. Because mm. if they fell, then institutions would be in trouble, or you know, the entire economy would be a, prob- a problem. Mm. And is our housing market too big to be allowed to fall back to where it maybe should be because our banks are exposed, or because just uh, politically or economically, we just cannot have, you know, half a trillion dollars worth of household wealth disappear. It's just mm. too shocking for everything.
0: <laughs> you know, this, this is sort of a political economy question. And, and, and let me first start by saying, you know, the banks are extremely well capitalised, bank balance sheets are in good shape and they get regularly stress-tested Uh, And, you know, we are a million miles away from having issues uh, in the financial sector. You know, the housing market could do cartwheels and the banks would manage. They would be fine. You know, as to whether like as the central bank, you know, we we don't really I mean, personally, obviously, everybody's got a view on whether house prices should be affordable, kind of, you know, affordability for our kids versus a strong return on the investment asset that most Kiwis have. Um, From the perspective of a central bank, you know, we sort of are interested in the flow-on effects of what's happening in the housing market to inflation, which is what we're concerned about, and, and the real economy in terms of maximum sustainable employment. So that's why we monitor the housing market. You know, we clearly don't target house prices or anything like that. We sort of take them as given and figure out the impact they're having on the rest of the economy, and we set interest rates to achieve our targets in terms of inflation uh, and maximum there, sustainable employment.
1: There is a wealth effect, which the Reserve Bank has talked about at various yeah. times, yeah. and previous research has suggested for every uh, uh, $1 increase in household worth, there's maybe a 2 or $0.03 cents per dollar increase in spending, and maybe it's a yep. about double that on the way back down. You could, in theory, have such a big drop in house values that it so shocks consumers that you effectively cause quite a big economic downturn hmm. by allowing or forcing or having a big drop in the housing market. How yep. much
0: of a? How much does the Reserve Bank think about that risk? Well, it depends on how it shows up in the inflation space. Like if that was leading to inflation falling through the bottom of our one to three percent target uh, uh, band. Then we would lower interest rates, but we wouldn't be lowering interest rates as a sort of backstop to the housing market because you know we take that as a given for what it is. You know, to some extent, professionally we're indifferent, um, but you know we would be doing that to get inflation you know back up to the midpoint, the two percent.
1: Just checking on that um, uh, prudential
0: stability thing,
1: the banks, because as well as running monetary policy, you're also mm. running. Um, uh, bank regulation, just to make sure that the banks are nice and safe. I know it's not your area, you're the chief economist, you've got someone else who's- oh, I'm th- interested in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and you mentioned the cartwheels thing, there'd be a few people listening to this going, gee, if there was like a 40 or 50% fall in the housing market, I've, I imagine that's like a complete wipeout of our banking system. Surely when we have that bigger fall, our banking system would be in trouble. But you're saying- yeah cartwheels, actually,
0: banks could handle it. Well, yeah, I, I was talking from the monetary policy perspective. Yeah, oh right. Like, like obviously, if the housing market was doing stuff that was threatening financial stability uh, in the economy, then, you know, obviously the Reserve Bank will prick its ears up and, and we will, you know, get stuck into that uh, as well because we're charged with, with keeping things nice and stable. Well, interestingly,
1: um, last year, the Reserve Banks did stress testing of the banks, which modelled a... F- plus fall in house prices plus the 13% unemployment rate and a big recession, the effect of that on the bank's capital. And because the banks have put aside a lot more capital in the last decade or so and their sources of funding are more liquid, actually, um, you know, they ran the numbers and the banks would be pretty much fine. In fact, still making profits for most of that (laughs) period, which is great news for... Um, uh, economic stability, so I can see how the cartwheels thing is Mm. not such an issue. Mm. Um, Just to uh, uh, play devil's advocate here, which is fun for me to do, I've heard Don Brash, Alan Bullard, Graham Wheeler, John Key, Bill English tell me, (laughs) some of them after questions I've asked them, that this housing market can't go much higher, In fact, it's probably overvalued. I'm going to put up interest rates. Be careful before you invest in this thing. Don't over invest in one asset class like housing. You know, diversification is a good thing. Mm. And I took them seriously. You know, these are well appointed, credible people and they're in charge. (laughs) And I thought, oh, yeah, fair enough. Luckily, I still Did owned my you own home. house. Yeah, yeah, no. So, luckily, <laughs> I didn't sell out. Um, yeah. And there was a time when I also thought that house prices were thirty percent overvalued, and I told everyone that mm. because I thought that uh, if there was a real downturn, you know, the, the market would come back to an equilibrium. I had that mm. perhaps naive econ one hundred and one view of the world. But what actually happened after those? grown ups told us that it couldn't go any higher, was that it went higher yeah, <laughs> on track, it? and so there's a whole bunch of people with grey hair, like me, who've heard, oh yeah, there he goes he's oh, saying he's saying it's as high as it can go, and that I should you know step back. Can you see how yes. we're a little bit wary of the <laughs> yes. of the oh yeah oh, it's gonna can you see how um for a bunch of people they really need to be
0: convinced, yeah. yeah. Like, first of all, I'm not saying step back from anything. Like, I'm not giving financial advice to anybody. I'm kind of just using economic uh, principles and frameworks to wrap it around the housing market. And I fully, you know, I've been calling for a decline in house prices for about a decade. And every year of those 10 years when I was wrong, I knew that one day, I would be right. And <laughs> now with this speech, I, well, actually, you know, house prices are off, what is it, 6 or 7% already. I kind of think that moment is now. But you're, you're totally right that, you know, we could engineer it so that the house market does keep going up and that, you know, people still do get returns. But I, I just think it's just unaffordability is such, is off the charts and it's at just such a level where people are going, really? you know, is that really what we want? Is that really how we want our economy to function? And, you know, it's it's within our capability. It's about the things we do today in terms of our behaviours and our policy settings that will affect how this market plays out. And I just think we're getting to a point of going, well, actually, you know, a more sort of regular, normal sustainable housing market would be great and people having more diversified, you know, asset portfolios. So, you know, diversifying your assets is no longer just about buying the house across the street. You know, it might be about investing in, in something else, you know, whatever that may be. So I, you know, I may well end up being wrong again. And the house market does its little correction and then trucks on. But you know we've we've had average house prices at a million dollars. I mean, who can how, who who does that serve? Who does that serve? And you know it's obviously served people that have sort of ridden that on the way up. But that's not everybody. That's nowhere near everybody. Especially when you factor in future generations. And I just think the way that we are treating each other, you know, we, when we think of our kids and all that, you know, it's not even. Like, like a kid who inher- inherits a house, that's great. But what if you've got three kids? <laughs> it's not optimal for that family to have. Uh, I, I just think we're getting to the point where people are asking some serious questions about how we want our economy to run. And I think the housing conversation is a really critical part.
1: Well, and that was a, a fun chat. Paul Conway, the Chief Economist at the Reserve Bank. Thank you very much. Pleasure,
0: Bernard. Nice chatting with you.
1: When the Facts, change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with Kiwi Bank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how Kiwibank are making Kiwi better off.
0: Kia ora e te iwi, Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin Off member at The Donate. The Spin Off Podcast Network.